Would you please turn with me to your study outlines as we continue our series uh, on the Ten Commandments. Uh, those of you that are watching online, we are so glad that you are with us and glad that you are joining us for this study. Um, uh, Pastor Greg started it last week with you're to have no other gods before me, and now we come to part uh, two. Now, we've had various names in the past for the Ten Commandments, the rules that reward or laws that liberate or God's controversial ten, but maybe you could call it the forgotten commandments. Newsweek had an article a while back, and this is a long while. This, these statistics are really stale. Uh, they reported that 49% of Protestants and 44% of Roman Catholics could name just four of the Ten Commandments. Hardly known at all. And I guarantee that statistic is way lower today than it was uh, back then. But I've chosen to call it uh, the former. And where that comes from is Matthew 23, verse 23 where Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. So he's talking about tithing. Uh, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says that's, that's the most important thing, to promote justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But here's the key line that brings balance to the Christian life. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You need both wings of the airplane. You know, the, the body of Christ and, and the church general, not necessarily our church, but church in general, has gone back and forth between extremes. Sometimes there's so much emphasis on justice, mercy, and faithfulness that there's not an emphasis on the former things, things like the Ten Commandments, things like godly and righteous living. And then sometimes in the church, there's been so much emphasis on godly and righteous living that we forget about, as the Pharisees did, things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And Jesus says here, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, things like the Ten Commandments. And the, the plane of the Christian life flies best with both wings of the airplane. We are meant to have godly, righteous lives, but also pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Anybody want to say amen to that? And that's when things work best in the Christian life. Now, the another advantage of a study of the Ten Commandments is it always drives you to the cross. When you first encounter the Ten Commandments, you think, oh, well, it's easy, particularly the one today. You know, you're not supposed to worship idols. You know, not too many of you have a statue of Zeus in your living room. I, I doubt that. Or you're not heading to, you know, the furniture store for a little bust of Baal after the service is over. So there's some of them, you get into them, you think, oh, well, that's not me. Murder, haven't murdered anybody recently, so I'm, I'm good on all that. But the more you shine the light on the Ten Commandments, it, it shines light on our hearts, and we realize how far we fall short of God's perfect standards for us. We, we realize how far, and it drives us to the cross. And so if any time during this series, you just need to cry on the mercy of God, you say, God, this is me. I, I, I've made these mistakes. I have fallen short as, as through the lens of the Ten Commandments. Then what you do is you turn to the back of your program, and there you'll see a simple outline, A, B, C, three simple steps for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a little suggested prayer there as to how you call on the grace and mercy of God. And if you ever just feel that need, turn to the back and pray that simple prayer to cry out, Jesus, I need you. The Ten Commandments drives us to the cross. And then another advantage is that it helps us to begin to live now the way we're going to live in heaven. Uh, then in heaven, it will be the Ten Commandments will be written on our hearts. It'll be natural for us. We will do it. It'll be the easy thing, the natural thing, rather than something that we have to work to do. And I have this little thing. Whenever I get on a plane and I'm changing time zones, um, whenever I sit down in the, in the seat on the plane, I always change my watch 
to what the time is going to be where I'm going. Does anybody else do that? Okay, good. I'm not alone on that. Yeah, as soon as I sit down, I change it. And so, you know, if I was going to Eastern Time, Indianapolis, change it three hours, um, you know, ahead. And if coming back here to California, three hours back. Because I want to start thinking and living the way I will at my destination. And the same thing is true with the Ten Commandments. We want to start living now the way we're going to live in heaven. We want thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the one we're going to deal with today is don't settle for shadows. It makes a big difference what you worship in life. If you worship shadows, it'll lead to one direction. If you worship reality, it'll lead in a different direction. My dad, when he was stationed in Burma during World War II, uh, he would read through his diary after he died. And one of the things that made a huge impact on him was that some of the villages had had Christ preached in them. The missionaries had gotten there or other Christ followers from other Christian villages had gotten there. We have a very strong Myanmar Burmese fellowship here at our church. And um, some places had gotten there and other places the villages were still worshiping idols. And my dad said it imprinted him for life the dramatic difference between where idols were worshipped and where Christ was followed and worshipped. He said it was like night and day. It just felt different. It looked different. There'd be children happily playing in the streets. The other villages would be gripped by fear. He said it was like you could see the demarcation between light and darkness. And it made such an imprint on his life that he was a businessman. He wasn't a pastor and president of a lumber company. But he devoted his life to raising money for world missions because he saw the difference that it makes when you worship the right thing. There's such a huge difference in worshiping shadows or reality. Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, when we talk about God being a jealous God, we're not talking jealous in the way we are in human relationships. I remember when Kimberly and I started dating, I was older than her by five years. I kind of was established. I was pastoring a church. I had a house from the church. I had a job. My education was over. And she came to Christ at Boston University as a, as a college girl. And she came home. We fell in love. And I tell you, when she went back for her senior year, I was obsessed with jealousy. All those thousands of college guys around her. And it drove me crazy. So when she came home for Christmas break, I put a ring on her finger, baby, to say, nobody, you know, lick the Oreo. This one's my, you know. And so uh, at any rate, just said, this, this girl's mine. And so, uh, uh, but I was obsessed with jealousy, I tell you. But it's not talking about that kind of jealousy, okay? It's not out of insecurity, but a concern like a parent. He's jealous over us because he knows that things work best when we make him the Lord of our lives, when we don't have any other idols. Now, the irony is, is that while Moses is giving this on the top of Mount Sinai, meanwhile, back at the ranch down in the valley, they're disobeying it with the story of the golden calf. And you can see it there in your study outline. Now, there are two ways we can disobey this command. First of all, images of false gods. 
Uh, prominent gods back then were Moloch, for example. And Moloch was known, and others, almost all the idols of that time were known for child sacrifice. Child sacrifice was a major part. Let's you think this is kind of some cute little idol worship and what's the harm in it? They just, you know, don't have enough uh, understanding. No, no. It was, it was a satanic occult involved in child sacrifice. Uh, the major one in the Old Testament was Baal worship. And here we have an archaeological artifact that represents Baal. Later on, it came along in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, there was Zeus. But many Bible scholars believe that the one that's going on here with the golden cap is Apis, who is the Egyptian bull god. And so one of the ways to disobey it is to make an image of a false god. But there is a second way. Not just images of false gods, but images of the true god. Other Bible scholars, many believe that it was Apis, but other Bible scholars believe that it was a bull, the golden calf was a bull symbolizing Jehovah's strength. So it's worshiping the right God, and it was honoring him for his strength. Now you say, why was God offended with that? I mean, what's the, what's, what's the big uh, deal with that? Because they're trying to honor him. And it's because God knows that any symbol we use to picture him is going to be inadequate. Maybe the bull represented his strength, but what about his love? What about his holiness? It's kind of like a scholar trying to do the history of the world in a one-page brief. Or it's kind of like a musician using just a kazoo to reproduce Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Or it's like a sculptor trying to sculpt Mount Rushmore with one grain of sand. That's the problem with symbols. They're inadequate. You can see where he talks about it later on in Deuteronomy uh, chapters, uh, chapter uh, 4, first of all, verse 12, and then skipping down to verse 15. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. Verse 15, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether form like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. Now, how does this relate to us? Well, the easy road, the easy application is to say in the same way they had, I mean, kind of like the clip that we just looked at, to say in the same way that they had physical idols, we have the idol of materialism or the idol of false teaching or the idol of pleasure seeking or the idol of uh, seeking after social status. But really, uh, Pastor Greg already covered that with regard to you're to have no other gods before me. He, he covered that last Sunday. So let's go to a more touchy area, and that is concrete symbols of God things that represent God or the work of God. We have this tendency to put too much emphasis on something that represents God rather than the God that it represents. Here's an interesting example. In Numbers chapter 21, there's this whole story in the Bible where poisonous snakes, there was a plague of snakes on the nation of Israel. And so Moses took a bronze snake and put it up on a pole and everybody that looked to it was healed of their snake bite. Now, there wasn't power in and of the, the bronze snake itself, but it represented crying out to God and calling out to God. 700 years go by. 
they saved this thing. Just like Raiders of the Lost Ark or all these other things. We, we love these artifacts. Well, they saved it. And 700, you know, that was about 1400 BC. Now we're at 700 BC. In 2 Kings 18, Hezekiah, godly king, comes into power. And he gets rid of all idol worship. And if you look at the end of that in verse 4, he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. They had saved this bronze snake. And they were worshiping it rather than the one that it represented, the saving power of the one it represented. And so Hezekiah had to go and, and break it into pieces. We have this human tendency to overly exalt things which represent God or the work of God. Now, the obvious example you know, is, is the crucifix or the cross. Now, let me make it very clear. I have no problem in somebody wearing a cross. I actually think it's, it's a beautiful thing myself. I think it's a, it's a way to witness and show people where you stand in the world today. Uh, I think it's a great reminder of our love for Christ and that it's all about the cross. And I, I think it's, it's a powerful thing. I don't wear a cross, but, uh, you know, I think when people do, it, it's a beautiful thing. Here's the key. Not against, uh, you know, wearing a cross, but we need to be so cautious that we don't attach superstitious power to it. We don't begin to view it like a lucky charm, you know, like the baseball player that hopes wearing a cross and kissing it before every at-bat is going to improve their average. Although if it worked, I'd have the Dodgers and the Angels all wear crosses and, uh, you know, do that. Just kidding. Okay, I wouldn't do that anyway. But, hey, you know, uh, the, the superstitious kind of wearing a cross to somehow have it be a magical power. That's what we need to avoid. But wearing a cross as a reminder of the one who was on that cross, that, on the other hand, can be a very powerful thing. Uh, J.I. Packer, great Bible scholar and theologian. He writes, the problem is that the crucifix highlights Jesus' human weakness without conveying his divine strength. It depicts the reality of his pain and suffering, but fails to remind us of his victory and joy. It shows us a dying Jesus, but neglects to show us a living Jesus bursting forth from the tomb with resurrection power. You see, the problem is not what it conveys, but what it fails to convey. Now, you're thinking, now Glenn... Uh, you can't expect any one image to convey everything. And that's the exact point of the second commandment. No image can encompass it all. Therefore, God says uh, to avoid them. That's exactly the point. Now, let me take it in a couple of different directions before we begin to wrap things up. Uh, we also have this tendency to do this culturally with things that were connected with when we first came to Christ. I believe there's this, this tendency that I've observed over years as being a pastor to lock in on the music style or the preaching style when we came to Christ and say that's the only way I can be fed from God's word is that preaching style or that's the only way I can worship is that music style. You say, oh, Glenn, you, you started it with football and now you are really getting your, yourself in trouble here. Okay. Uh, there's this tendency, and I had it as well. I mean, I came to Christ. My pastor was Kennedy Smart of West End Presbyterian Church in Hopewell, Virginia. And for years, if you didn't preach like Kennedy Smart, you weren't preaching. And if you didn't preach like Kennedy Smart, I couldn't receive from you because that was the gold standard for how it's supposed to be done. And it creates finicky eaters where, you know, as time and situations change, we're unable to receive from different people that present God's word in a, in a different way, in a variety of different ways. The same thing is true with music style. 
whatever the music was, when you came to Christ, there's that tendency. If, if it was Gaither, you lock in on Gaither. If it was Maranatha, you lock in on Maranatha. If it was hymns, you lock in on hymns. If it was Hillsong, you, you lock in on Hillsongs. And there's this tendency to say that I you know, can't worship unless I'm worshiping in that particular style. Now, please don't get me wrong. The whole reason we have four entirely different worship services, you know, 8.30, 9.45, 11.11, flood on Thursday night with Pastor Brian, identical to 11.11, young guy leading worship, 11.11, old guy preaching, flood on Thursday night, young guy leading worship, young guy preaching as well. So, you know, you got all the different combinations going on. And Pastor Brian preaches in a different way that I preach. And some people receive differently in different ways from different people. You see, the problem is, is that culture reinvents itself every seven years, but the church tends to reinvent itself every hundred years. And so we gotta be changing in order to connect with new people generation to generation. I always like to say that I want our church to be conservative when it comes to orthodoxy. Okay, to God's word. Ortho, the Greek meaning right. Doxy, meaning opinion or doctrine. We will hang on to every jot and tittle of this book until Jesus Christ comes back. Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay, so we're going to be conservative on orthodoxy, but we want to be liberal or progressive on orthopraxy. Ortho meaning right, praxy meaning practice of the faith. That is why we have generation to generation. We want to reach in fresh ways. Now, we have all those different services because I still believe it's great to worship with the language of your heart. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. And that's why we do all this variety of different worship services and different languages and different uh, age group targets and, and different styles. We do all that because I do believe that we all worship best from what I call the language of our heart, the worship, the music of our heart. And nothing wrong with that, as long as we realize that in heaven, all the styles will be there. Uh, they, they will all be present, and different people can receive in different ways. Now, one more direction I'm going to take it, and then we're going to begin to wrap things up. Another thing that you can apply idol worship to is that thing in our lives that we hang on to um, and celebrate recovery, which is a great ministry. And Everybody ought to do celebrate recovery. I mean, we, we all need it because it says it's about hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Hurts, hang-ups, and habits. And we all have hurts, and we all have hang-ups, and we all have habits. Jeff, did I get that right? Did I get the three correct? Okay, I saw Jeff out there, the leader of that program. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And, 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 and so um, we, we all uh, need uh, to be able to address uh, those particular uh, things and we have those things in our life that we just hang on to. And everybody, I always say your blind spots will rule you. And the things you can see about me that I can't see about myself, if I would just deal with it, my life would be so much more effective and there'd be so much more joy. And so what is that thing in your life that you're holding on to that you just won't give, that God could use you so much more and fulfill his purpose in you. And there could be so much more joy um, if you re release that thing. You know, whenever you're reading the Old Testament, it just drives you crazy, the pattern. They worship God, things go well. They worship idols, things don't go well. They worship God, things go well. They worship idols, they don't go well. About the hundredth time you see that pattern in the Old Testament, you're like, Stop worshiping idols, everybody, you know? And yet we do the exact same thing in the little things that we hold on to. If you really have courage, and I don't know that I have this courage, 
to ask my family this, but to ask somebody close to you or people close to you, show them the clip. It's all over Facebook. It's just go on YouTube and you'll find it. And ask them, what's the nail for me? If, if you have courage, it would literally be a tremendous thing that we could all grow from if we would just let go of those idols. Third thing is when we make God in our own image in order to avoid his lordship, in order to control uh, the idol. Uh, You can see this in pictures of Jesus during different decades. Uh, Here's a picture of Jesus from the 50s, who's kind of a delicate uh, Jesus going on. You got the Jesus of the 60s, which is kind of a revolutionary Jesus there, you know. My, My favorite one is the Jesus of the 70s and the 80s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the good-looking, well-developed Jesus. He's got it all together. He'll give you stock tips if you need them. All right. Um, Sometimes we have the mental images of God. For some people, he's a tyrant. For others, he's a Scrooge. For some, he's your big buddy in the sky. For some, he's like a grandfather figure. And these are not deliberate. Sometimes they come from childhood. I'm no psychologist. But, you know, sometimes I do believe that our relationship with our fathers Many times, for better or for worse, next weekend is Father's Day, and I know that can be a complicated day for some people. If your father was absent, then that's an image you might have of God. If he was present, but there were certain things that that weren't right with that, then that can be, um, you know, a a challenge. Uh, You know, the great thing for us that are followers of Christ is let's be fathers to our children that give them a head start in having a proper image. Nobody's going to give them the perfect image of God like God is. But we as dads can do the best that we can to give them a head start. As somebody who had a great dad, I praise God for the head start that that gave me in my image of God. Now, having said that, don't despair because that's not the end all. It's not inevitable because the answer is God's word. You see, you you can, by saturating your mind, our minds, reading God's word and and, and filling our mind with it, we can recalibrate our false image of God to a corrected image of God. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free uh, from false images of God to a correct one. For example, if your image of God is kind of a tight-fisted, angry judge, well, then you, the antidote to that is Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. If your image of God is like a military general, like General Patton, and kind of a harsh taskmaster, you go to Romans 8, where it says we call him Abba, Daddy, Daddy, Father. Now, on the other hand, if he's kind of a wimpy God, kind of a George Burns kind of God. And I know for this generation, Morgan Freeman is the main guy that played God. But how many of you will admit to being as old as I am and remember when, when George Burns was, was God, okay? We're admitting our age right now. We'll see if anybody at the 1111 service knows anything I'm talking about. But kind of a wimpy, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, whatever. Okay, the antidote to that is Isaiah 6, verse 5, when Isaiah encountered God, he was undone. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He was smitten. He was no George Burns God. He was the creator of the universe. He was awesome. He knocked him over. And so God's word is the answer 
to correcting our false mental images of God to ones that are more in accordance uh, with reality. Back to Exodus 20, verse 4. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Out loud together, you shall not make for yourself an idol. One more time, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we will reject the false images of you and the false gods of our age and the false idols. And I pray that we will choose Jesus. We will choose to follow him in as much as we can from a study of your word in the reality of who he is and not who we want to make him to be in our own image. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.